Originally a cheap, plentiful, and man-made substitute for ivory, celluloid, one of the earliest of plastics, made its way into the manufacture of novelties. But it had one serious defect. It could burn. Welcome to the Kill It With Fire podcast, where each episode, a group of creative practitioners and academics from different disciplines, takes a look at cult, neglected or overlooked motion pictures from the last few decades of celluloid, when movies were films. What happens if it actually works? That's the tagline for the film that we're going to be discussing today, which is Shane Carruth's Primer, released in 2004. Um, Shall we have a round of introductions? Uh, Mark, would you like to go first? Yes, hello, I'm Mark Hall and uh, I tend to spend most of my time uh, dazed and confused. Um, Aspiring writer. Yeah, we're not doing that one today. No, no, we're not. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, aspiring writer, musician, all that kind of stuff. Always had aspiring because it's just a nice word for failed. (laughs) Uh, let, that, let that sink in for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> Pete, do you want I, was to go waiting, I was waiting for gasps of sympathy from the audience. Oh, no. Oh. oh no. Yeah. That kind oh. of thing. Tough, tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> At least there is a crowd, though. <laughs> Pete, um, do you want to go next? Right. Well, my name's Peter True, uh, and I'm sat under a blanket. Um, <laughs> what, what more do you want to know? That'll do. <laughs> yeah, what colour's the blanket, Pete? It's brown, actually. Who go. owns a brown blanket? It wasn't Pete. always brown. Here we go. <laughs> bit, bits of it are brown. Aye. <laughs> How long oh, was that? Two a... minutes before we descended into... Some... That's a bad, bad 70s sitcom. I don't know. Uh, yeah, AD, do you want to introduce yourself, introduce yourself next? I, I don't think I don't think I can after that. Um, I'm um, Adrian Mills, um, and I'm not under a blanket, brown or any other colour. Um, and I teach and try and figure out the film we're about to talk about. <laughs> That's what I do. There you go. <laughs> Where, where's I mean, the gas of a, sympathy? There is. The Guinness advert, that's what he does. That's all he does, wasn't it? That was, uh, was that the Guinness? Guinness? Guinness advert? Yes, I think it was, yeah. It was he, is it? He waits and he watches. Mm. Waits and watches, yeah. That's what he does. That's all he does. Uh, I'm Paul Lewis. I'm uh, a man of many few skill sets. Um, <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I should say. Unrepentant cinephile. I'm going to stick with that one. That's a good one. Um, so uh, we're talking about Primer today. Uh, Aidy, this was your pick. Um, it was. I mean, when you sort of opted for put, when you uh, put Primer forward, uh, it's sort of on the cusp of that era that we're talking about, we're looking at, if we're saying the last the last decades of the 20th century. But mm-hmm. you know, under, the, under the theme of the podcast, which is kind of we're looking at the end of sort of cinema as a, as a medium, you know, associated with film... Prime is a good example of that because, uh, uh, you know, the way that it was shot on Super 16 and then blown up to 35 mil, I think it's got a very distinctive film-like aesthetic, hasn't it? Well, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is is uh, is quite interesting, I think. It's, it's quite important in, in, in sort of that, the texture of the film. Anyway, so, sorry, Aidy. 
I'm, I'm sort of detracting from... I was just going to uh, ask you if you could provide us with a synopsis, please. And oh, yeah. May God have mercy <laughs> on yourself. <laughs> well, it, I mean, essentially, it's a film about two friends who... Uh, okay, it's it's two friends who are engineers who build something in their garage that they don't understand um, that leads to consequences that they could never have foreseen. If you want the spoiler-free version, that's kind mm. of it. That's kind is of what, it, what that's kind of what it say is. It's a time machine. It's a time machine, yeah, but they don't know it's a time machine at first. No. What they think is, it's they, they, at first they think it's a, you know, the the original, the, the the initial plan. What you can get from the film is that they're trying to build something that alleviates weight um, yes, and yeah, make things yeah. lighter, so that you can put stuff in the box, it becomes lighter, and thus you can then sell it to you know airliners and people like that who have to transport stuff, so they, they they can carry more stuff because it weighs less. And therefore, they don't need as much fuel, and they can save money, and, and it's that sort of thing. And that's the that's their initial concept. And they, they don't really they kind of know what they're doing in a sense of like you know the way they talk and they 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 sort of you know they they sort of small time they call themselves small time hackers or what or something like that. And so they're trying to b- break free of the, just doing small uh, mail order um, devices, which you know people use in their uh, garages and whatever sort of thing. So they're trying to sort of break into a make something that will you know, allow them to publish, become well-known, you know, and make actually make a living off this. Inadvertently, what they actually create is a box that um, uncouples itself from time um, and loops in, in, a, in a fixed loop from when it is turned on to when it is turned off um, and thus allows them to, and allows anything within that to exist outside of normal time restrictions cause and effect that sort of thing um and obviously what then happens is you know natural scientific curiosity whatever gets the better of them um that the, the original box is too small to go in so they build bigger boxes that they can go in and time travel um confusion ensues i think is yes. the best best I, <laughs> best I can do at this point in time until we get into it i think that that kind of sums it up for, until yeah. we get into more, you know, more more detail, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it, yeah. I, say, I thought you could say until you can get into the box and go back in time. So <laughs> yeah, back. just redo that. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically Back to the Future without the whimsy, isn't it? <laughs> but, uh, that. That's my only takeaway. It's one way. It's uh, one way of looking at it. Well, the, the, I mean. Uh, uh, there are parallels, I think, particularly. We'll probably come on to this a bit later. With uh, I, I think more well, Back to the Future too, but we'll come on to that a bit later. Uh, I'll probably I'll probably talk about that um, in a bit. I think. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, in terms of contemporary reviews, did anybody dig up anything in terms of uh, contemporary reviews of the film? Uh, I've got something from uh, the New York Times um, from A. O. Scott. I don't know if that's. Uh... Someone we know about. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of sums up um, a bit of what uh, of what I took away from it, really. So this isn't all of it, but part of the review was said, um, uh, I'm not sure that uh, having seen it twice from start to finish and gone back over the videotape in search of clues to its meaning, uh, I wouldn't say it entirely makes sense. At a certain point, Mr. Carruth's uh, fondness for complexity and indirection crosses the line between ambiguity and opacity. But I hasten to add that my befuddlement is coloured by admiration. 
Mr. Carruth has the skill, the guile, and the seriousness to turn a creaky philosophical gimmick into a dense and troubling moral puzzle. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I'd say that's fairly spot on, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Kim, Kim Newman in Empire said, just as a, a one-liner from that, says it's a puzzle as much as a plot. But when it's in focus, which isn't for long stretches, it's remarkable brain food. Um, yeah, that's and I think good. I think that's quite good as well. Yeah. See, see, this is interesting. I, I I don't know if we're jumping all the way to the sort of conclusion of our of our thoughts of, about it, but this this sort of mentioning of the of the of the puzzlement and the plot and things, I really didn't know what was going on for large swathes of it. I've put, I've put a sort of, you know, I didn't feel the need, the need to figure it out. It was enough to know that the filmmaker had figured it out and was confidently, uh, it was confidently and assuredly told. You know, I, I, I knew it made sense. If, if, if I'd bothered to map it out and uh, like uh, uh, AD was sort of looking at, um, I'm sure it does make sense. And for me, it was just so beautifully told that I was happy to just experience it really yeah i mean I, I don't get too far ahead of what i'll probably say about it a bit later but uh, i think the um the confusion in terms of the temporal uh settings <laughs> of the different sequences is is a bit of a mcguffin really because i think in my opinion the story is a bit a, a, about the relationships between those two characters mm. and and their relationships with the sort of the corporate environment in which they are placed their sort of attempts to sort of break free from that Mm-hmm. And um, the, ta- the time travel is just a, a, de- a MacGuffin, if you like, a Hitchcockian MacGuffin, a device that enables them to do that. Um, and then, of course, their relationship becomes fractured because uh, they are two very different characters. Uh, they they realise partway through the narrative, uh, whereas in those opening sequences, they seem very similar and interchangeable. But we'll probably come on to that a bit later. Mm. I mean, in terms of the contemporary reviews that I, I dug up, I looked at Ty Bear's piece from the Boston Globe. Um, and he praised the film's refusal to explain its plot to the audience. He said mm. uh, the film, uh, quote, throws you into a deep ocean of techno jargon and lets you dog paddle or sink like a stone. And and I think that's uh, uh, quite emblematic of um, Kavuth's approach, which we see in uh, in Upstream Colour as well, uh, his second film. Um, his only other film that he's directed to this day, of course. Um, and that 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 idea of the, that deep ocean of techno jargon, the language is very thick mm. in, in this, mm-hmm. and um, deliberately thick. And I think it's uh, it, it's deliberately opaque the language, um, mm-hmm. and that helps to obscure a lot of the sort of theoretical science really behind mm. it. I guess. Um, well, I mean, I, I, I oh sorry, Pete, were you going to say no, something? No, sorry, but it was just I, one of the other notes was that it, it's very unapologetically um, told in, in its approach. It's unapologetic. It, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't try to. Um, yeah. 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 I think Ebert. I mean, Ebert's review at the time, Roger Ebert, um, his sort of final, sort of penultimate paragraphs before he puts a note in, says, uh, he wrote that the movie delights me with its cocky confidence that the audience can keep up. Primer is a film for nerds, geeks, brainiacs, academic decathlon winners, programmers, philosophers, and the kinds of people who've made it this far into the review. It will surely <laughs> be hated by those who go yes. to the movies to be entertained and embraced and debated by others who will find it entertains the parts the others do not reach. It is maddening, fascinating, and completely successful. So I think he was a bit of a fan. 
Because yeah. it is, it, it is, it is, it does absolutely, and we obviously will come into this, but it is, it is unapologetically, it doesn't, you know, it has, um, it reminded me of like um, parts of The Wire. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's, um, you know, you, you've got to keep up with this. Just keep up. Yeah. We're not, you know, we, we, we assume, or Caruth assumes you can, you can keep up. And that's, yeah. you know, if you can't, tough. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, since I first saw it, I've looked it in with, um, there's that trend in American drama and film, isn't it, of, of texts that sort of uh, that deal with um, a lot of corporate business speak, and uh, and 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 throw the their audience into the depths with that. I mean, Glen Gary Glen Ross is a good example, isn't it? You know, with the, the sales mm-hmm. speak in Glen Gary Glen Ross, and and uh, well, quite a lot of Mammoth's work, I guess, as well. Um, and and for me, Prime has always seemed allied to that, and. Uh, I mean, I, I for, for uh, quite a few years, I used to use it as part of that speech and meaning module. Um, you know, and he used to sort of, you know, uh, alongside Glen Gary, Glen Ross, and, and uh, what else did he used to show as part of that? Um, but but certainly, you know, uh, text that sort of, you know, throw throw the audience in at the deep end in terms of the language, a very closed system of language that the characters use. Um, and 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 you, you do have to sort of think. It's a bit like you know starting a new job, isn't it? You know, you, you even you work into a new workplace. Teaching's like it all the time, even though I've been doing it for twenty years. You walk into a meeting and they're talking with mm. you know the, 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 the spouting new acronyms that you've not heard of before. Even though I've worked in education for twenty years, I walk into some meeting and think, well, what on earth are you talking about? That's that's what? What does that mean? Because the language has changed and it's it's a very closed system of language, a very exclusive system of language. And um, I think Prime is very good conveying or articulating that. Uh, I mean, Peter Bradshaw as well in, in The Guardian, uh, he suggested the influence of Coppola's The Conversation in terms of that sort of paranoia, um, I think, and Aronofsky's Pie. And I think you, you can see this was seven years after Pie, Aronofsky's Pie, and you can see um, that uh, lineage, I think, between uh, Pie and, 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 uh, and, and, uh, and Primer. Um, Bradshaw also compared it with the Ealing comedy The Man in White, with um, the uh, the film about Alec Guinness, the the inventor of the the, the self cleaning cloth, I think is, is what he was asking. <laughs> and um, and I could sort of see that as well. You know, it, it has uh, it it's it's got the structure and the pace of a farce, but it's played deadpan and straight, isn't it, Primer? You know, mm-hmm. in, I think. Um, let's talk about first encounters with the film. Um, should we start with uh, Mark? Because I think I think I know where this is, might be going. Had you seen Had you seen the film before, Mark? I had not. No. Um. I so I watched it the night before last. Um. I remember at the la- at the end of the last uh, podcast, Andy said to to watch it with no research and just go in and and try and see if you could figure out what's happening. And um, I I and I could not basically. <laughs> I watched it and I was. Confused for an hour and fourteen minutes. Um, <laughs> I immediately went onto IMDb afterwards and read the, the the plot synopsis. And then after I read that, I sort of went, "Oh yeah, that's what happened." But, um, but no, I was I was very confused, but I was also very entertained. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah. Because even though I had no idea what was being said, um, I liked the way they said it. Yeah, well, being being confused isn't a bad thing. I think. I think we often. Um, well, now I, think... I spend I spend probably seventy five percent of my life confused. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, we, I think we often we live in a society where 
people need things to be explained to, or they feel like they need things to be explained to them. But being confused can be quite a constructive thing because it, it means your brain's active, isn't it? Of course. I mean, it's you know, it's um, whether it's in films or whether it's <clears throat> you know, sometimes uh, you know, again, working in education, you get students that expect everything to be laid out on a platter for them at the start and to understand mm. everything at the start. And it, it, when you're learning something that you don't <laughs> that's the point yeah, is that you pick up the knowledge focus. yeah you pick up the knowledge uh, and at a certain point you go oh i see how this fits together and i, I understand it better and then you're ready for the next stage of the journey mm. um and i think that's I, a... uh, I watched this one on my own as well i didn't i didn't watch this with the wife this time um but, uh, yeah I, yeah like i said I, it was confused i was confused and entertained but my main takeaway was that i thought it Felt like a very long short film, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah, uh, it's just on the cusp of feature length, isn't it? With that 70, yeah. 74 minutes, I think that's the PAL version. So what I enjoyed was I felt like a fly on the wall in someone's life mm. um, with this one. It, just, it didn't feel like it was, it didn't feel like a film. It sort of felt like, it felt almost like a documentary. Yeah. Like I was yeah. just literally just watching the life of these two people i had no idea what they were doing with that life but <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed watching what was going on yeah i think the the super 16 aesthetic i think the, the way that it's shot lends yeah to feel very very realistic very very similar to it it's very much like a, a documentary style uh picture you know um yeah we'll come on to that a bit later i think uh pete so uh, i must wishing they'd buy some colorful shirts because they only ever wear white shirts well, this is because the corporate drones. This is <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it? Corporate drones. Were See, you say corporate head. drones. My takeaway was more like it was more like a Mormon aesthetic. Mm, yeah, there was yeah, very, yeah, very Puritan. Puritan. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, that's quite interesting, actually, Mark. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's that is. Uh... That's, that's the main thing that came into my head. You know, when you get the the because the, they're always in a pair, they're always in a white shirt and dark tie. The only thing missing was the little black badge. Yeah. Oh, I'd take it away. Yeah. Pete, have you seen Pine? Mm. Um, well, again, and that it kind of um, relates to what uh, Mark was just saying there. Um, I I did the same. I took Adi's advice um, from from the last one and watched this deliberately with <clears> no uh, no preconceptions or knowledge or anything. Um, so yeah, this was the first time I watched this as well. Um, had no idea what to expect. Uh, the title sort of maybe suggested it was something you know like like shivers or you know something something like that that was going to be sort of body horror and uh about um some sort of parasite or something but uh, but yeah no that first scene with the around the kitchen table and they and they the the four guys and they're packing those boxes uh, and the way they were dressed I was thinking yeah they could be some sort of mormon type group and they were sort of passing out the literature sort of thing um so yeah i had no preconceptions whatsoever and i think that was uh i really think that was the best way to watch it in my experience um as, as it unfolded i think Katie might have told us to not research it before watching it so we could feel superior to us he knew what was going <laughs> and we didn't. um do you mind if I dive in, AD? First? No, 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 go, go for it. Because I think you've probably got more to say than me. Um, yeah, I, yeah I because no one else was allowed to research it. 
<laughs> I saw Primer um, back in it'd be about 2004, 2005, whenever it first came out on DVD in, in the States, um, because I'd, I'd heard about it and, and uh, read about it. I don't know if it got a cinema release over here at all, actually. I'm not entirely sure about that. But um, it, I, it was in in that period where it was quite cheap to buy Region 1 DVDs, and I used to sort of send off to send off order from DVD Pacific a box under the threat of the tax threshold was was it 30 quid at the time so you could get sort of four or five films for about you know 30 quid plus postage so it worked out about sort of 30 32 quid that hadn't been released over here and um, I remember ordering Primer as soon as it came out on the DVD in America I think it was about nine or ten pounds um, and uh, yeah I, I mean I, I really liked it like I say <clears throat> I uh, worked into uh, uh, a few sort of classes that I, I used to teach, um, particularly sort of thinking about the use of language in it um, and how sort of dense that language is and how, how when we're talking about sort of closed loops of language and, and um, you know, um, closed linguistic codes and that kind of thing. And Prime is a good example of that because you sort of, you have to take it on trust. I think a, 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 a general audience sort of has to sit and watch it and sort of take, take, take that language on trust that it's, it's sort of accurate. And uh, to a certain point, it is when up to the point where they start to talk about time travel, you know, the, the early scientific language kind of makes sense. But then there's a point where they start, and there's a scene specifically where I think it's Aaron says that, uh, played by Carruth himself, says that you move this dial about. And, it, and, 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 and that's the point where the language shifts into sort of very sort of abstract, theoretical, constructed language. And that's the point where it's a bit like the point in the. The magic trick where the the magician sort of hides the card under his sleeve. I think that, that's 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 the scene where that happens. Um, but I think you know if you sit and and and, uh, and view it, <clears throat> I think the density of the language helps to obscure the uh, sort of theoretical science, if you like, in terms of the um, time travel plot. I think, and I think that's what what appealed to me. And, and the other thing that appealed to me, I think, and we'll probably come onto this a bit later, was. Uh, Again, it's, it's it was very much part of that zeitgeist of films that sort of dealt with corporate, uh, you know, people that, that that were stultified by their sort of corporate existence. I mean, we had Office Space, didn't we, a year or two back, a year or two prior to this, and you know, there's quite a spate of pictures where uh, coming out of the American indie scene, where uh, you know, characters were were were, were very much uh, feeling very much um, uh, suffocated by you know the corporate life. And I was thinking those kind of workplace stories appeal to me, being somebody that that works in the workplace. Um, and I think it's a bit of a shame that we don't see so many of them these days. There was a, an interesting because in the nineties, of course, you had the Tarantino thing, lots of stories about crime, indie stories about sort of crime and and uh, sort of nonlinear uh, uh, narratives. In the late nineties, uh, early two thousands, you had lots of stories about the workplace. And that was kind of the place, you know, the, the environment in indie films set themselves in, and Prime is part of that. And I think it's a bit sad that that um, you know such a relatable space mm. is is so um, uh, so uh, absent from uh, so much of uh, sort of contemporary modern cinema. It's a lot of it's very unrelatable. I think a lot of you know modern American cinema, current American cinema. I'd like to see more stuff set in workplaces, please. <laughs> if if that if that is possible, um, so, sorry, Aidy. What was your first encounter with Primer? Um, 
my first I, I didn't watch it when it first came out i saw this a, f- a few years later um on a recommendation uh, from a friend who did the same as what i did for you guys sort of thing just said just watch it just watch it um and you know don't don't read up on it or anything like that so it would probably would have been around about 2000 i think about 2008 2009 maybe somewhere around there and i was like okay i'll give it a watch um because you, you know obviously he knows have a liking for sci-fi and things like that so my first the first viewing of it i think was very similar to both you you know mark and pete um where you, you kind of watch it and you're like what the hell have i just watched what what's what's just happened for 70 minutes i'm not quite sure but i was so intrigued and so so taken with it um that i i, I think i pretty much just put it on again um and and watched it again and then sort of went you know like like you sort of thing then became a bit kind of obsessed with it for a small period of time where i was like trying to figure it out in my head trying to work it out made some notes was like oh god this is amazing and i think that that's when i first encountered it and it and it i've you know you mentioned back to the future yeah yeah um i can completely see and especially back to the future too with the you know multiple versions of people um but it was around a time you're saying um uh, Paul, uh, I think it shows where we differ, sort of thing, because around this time, sort of thing, I started to watch quite a few uh, time travel y style movies. Um, so there was a few, and there's a few, um, I think I was watching a few, quite a lot of time travel movies and quite a lot of sort of found footage films as well. There seemed to be a, a yes, lot of them around. And this kind of almost bridged the gap. Um, because as you say, Mark, it, it feels, you know, it feels documentary it feels sort of cinema, you know, cinema verite. Um, there is a very much, the very much feeling of that from what, from what I get with it. Um, but then it also has that sort of found footage aesthetic almost um, of being a bit rough and you know raw, and you just feel like this is kind of you're spying into something that's attempting to be like very realistic. Um, and you know, as you said, the language. Um, and so I watch films like uh, you know from the time travel things, things like um, Time Crimes, the Spanish one. Oh yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, tri- triangle. Um, yeah. things like that uh, and there's a few others I've watched since then from um, the you know there's things like uh, the, the the tunnel uh, was a found footage one the Australian one yeah. Um, yeah. Ev- evidence um, and, and a number of the, a number of these films sort of thing and and, t- and for me primer kind of sat almost like bridged that gap and and as as the years have gone on I, I revisit it and some you know and sometimes I sit and watch it and I get I, I, I lose it I lose that thread and what I'm watching it and sometimes I watch it and I completely understand it I find I follow everything um it's just you know I think it's become one of those films that I can just sit back and before we get into its discussion analysis sort of thing for me this is a film I can just I can stick on and I, and I know and it's worth sort of thing I kind of can just lose myself in it and I, and for, for me it's be, it's become one of those films um, yeah, and so that's uh, you know I, uh, that, I, ch- I chose it because I thought yes it is on the cusp of kind of you know our remit for this podcast, but I think it it, it fits still within the kind of thing we're trying to look at this kind of you know cult underground cinema, and I think it's it it, it still has a you know it do, it don't you know it, it for me it it fits within that I, I could see this being a little bit earlier, but it is what it is, and for me it's just a it's a it's a brilliant piece of filmmaking I I you know I love it so there you go yeah. I mean, I think particularly the way that the, the, the fact that it's shot on Super 16 and, and uh, you know that very film aesthetic, which I mean, an independent production like this uh, today would like probably most likely be shot on digitally, um, and 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 the 
the restrictions that that placed on Carruth because you know of course um, the, the story is that, that, that they couldn't have more than one take or in some yeah. instances maybe two takes of each scene so he, he rehearsed it very carefully with the actors apparently and, and uh, you know the um, storyboarded the film by the use of 35 mil stills and mm. um, you know shot 35 mil stills uh, as, as storyboards and, and uh, you can see that care in the texture of it and I think if you know, if, if somebody was to make a film like Palmy today and shoot it digitally, when you can just keep shooting endlessly, you know, in theory, you know, mm-hmm. if, you, if you haven't got the time constraints, then I don't think you would have a film that has this texture, both in its aesthetic, but also in in the the way that the characters interact through the the fact that that dialogue feels very spontaneous. But you can see it's very very carefully rehearsed as well. Um, so it's. Um, it, it's got that sense of both spontaneity and uh, um, a rigidity of form, I think. Yeah, because uh, he, he shot, what was it? it it's uh, it, it's a sort of, uh, you know, cinema, it's 78 minutes, isn't it? And he yeah. shot he shot 80 minutes worth of film. <laughs> That's right. I think he's cut, cut two, two or three minutes out, I think, the interviews that I've seen with him. Yeah. Um, did, did, I read, did I read that the, the budget was something like $7,000 or something? Yeah, <coughs> yeah, yeah, we're getting exactly. on to the production now. Yeah, $7,000. Yeah. I'll um, move into that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, do you know anything else about... Um, I mean, it was $7,000, but... Uh, as I say, it was shot on Super 16 and blown up to 35 mil for the theatrical release. But the the blown up to 35 mil cost, I think, about five times as much as the budget for the <laughs> production of the film. It cost about 30,000 or something like that. Um, it's a bit like that famous story with um, Rodriguez and El Mariachi, isn't it? Which cost was it six thousand dollars to make, and then they the spent seventy thousand on advertising it and promoting it. I think. Didn't yeah. They? Yeah. Um, so you know these stories of films shot for you know six thousand, seven thousand dollars. Yeah, it can be done, but then there's the, the sort of post production and so on and so forth, isn't there? Mm. Um, do you know anything else about the production? Anybody? Anybody? Um, I mean, it was. I mean, obviously, Caruth did most, <laughs> so many roles, and you can, you can. I mean, if you look through the the credits at the end, it's, there's a lot of Caruths and a, a lot of similar mm. surnames pop up. So obviously, you know, he's huge friends and family. It was filmed, from what I understand, is mostly in his own garage. Yeah, um, and I so think, I, I think actually there are only five crew members. I think as I, as I yeah, and, and, and they all star in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, the t- it's the team from the beginning, isn't it? Who basically <laughs> the crew and the and the stars. So I mean, it's it, it's you know it's ultra ultra low budget, seven thousand dollars, you know, seven thousand dollars, and it's for for me this is one of those examples of look what you can go and do, and especially now sort of thing, as you say, as you allude to, Paul, um, you know the you know the ability to just film and film and film on digital sort of thing with you know your phone or whatever and films getting yeah. you know films getting made on iPhones and all kinds of stuff but you know with is with a good idea and a thought you know careful thought this is you know in your own back you know and you know as educators we see lots of films come through you know Dan's film course and uh, things like that we see a lot of films made in back gardens and front rooms and garages and sheds and stuff like that and local woods and that's all fine sort of thing but you know you can turn something your local area as long as the idea is good and that's what Mm, i really love about this that's what i really love about this film it's not about you know shooting on the backlog with patlock with massive amounts of green screen and massive locations and stuff that's not what this is this is about two people and essentially as you said something it's about it's essentially it's a story of two people and how you know and, and that classic of like when they put under pressure, the two the character comes out, you know, that whole ethos of that sort of thing. And what happens when they 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 get their dream, 
what happens and and yeah. you know to and and that's what I really love about this film it's there's there's so much going on in it and it's so clever but it's mm. it's so sparse and allows you just to be there and and then you know and watch this thing spiral out of control there's so much I like about this film and production wise you know it's 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 you know I'm from whatever he's done you know since career sort of thing or whatever for me this is a you know i sit back and i just you know i, I applaud what he did for seven thousand dollars personally yeah yeah i mean there's some really bravura photography in it and there's some mm. dolly some great dolly shots you know mm. um when you're considering you know shooting it on on um what were effectively short ends you know to to, to get footage like that and the other thing is that you know the high speed stock that he used because there's a lot of low light nighttime footage as well, isn't there? An interior footage in low light circumstances creates that really sort of thick sheen of grain, mm. particularly on the 35 mil blow up. <clears throat> and um, uh, there are all these stories about um, Caruth using fluorescent lights and lens filters and creating this sort of really strong sense of contrast. There's a great scene, um, I think it's an evening scene where one of the characters is outside and the, the, the camera's pointing. Uh, towards the, the, the threshold, the door threshold, but inside there are some warm lights, and you've got that really sort of colour contrast between the the cold light of of, of the front porch or the, outside of the house, and the warm light of the interiors, and this that sort of real sense of um, um, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of Hollywood films try and sort of uh, um, get that aesthetic in a, in, in post production, that, that teal orange push. But mm. uh, but uh, Caruth kind of creates that 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 visual contrast between different types of light, different um, uh, 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 different casts of light, uh, uh, very cleverly I think in this. Um, mm. Well, it's, I loved it. Like, like like the opening shot is just the lights coming on in the garage and that sort of it's like a strip, yeah. mm. like sort of exactly, segmented yeah, strip, yeah. and it's almost it's almost like um, it's like a reel of film. I always think yeah. it looks like, and it's just a yeah. lovely opening shot as it just flickers on. And you know that, and then the, the garage door starts to open. You get, I think it cuts to outside, but that opening yeah. shot is just, you know, it's just okay. This looks interesting. And I was, you know, when I first saw it, I was like, it's a weird opening shot, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested now. Just from that opening shot, you know. And yeah. there's a yeah. there's a thing I read on, um, just looking through the Metacritic reviews. Um, one of the ones that t- um, particularly didn't like it from the, the Seattle Post Intelligencer. Um, it says uh, every frame of the way, it's eminently clear that Primer is the work of an engineer, not a filmmaker. And I think that's yeah. really wrong. I don't think that's right at all. I can't, I can't agree with that. I think Caruth has quite a good eye for, um, mm. for composition, for scene, and, oh, and, yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. how it, how it all hangs together, and what he wants to put in each frame. I think is is absolutely purposeful. I think it's yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Well, I I totally agree with that, and I love the aesthetics of the film. And there's some there's some references here that I wanted come to later um but just sort of um bouncing off that uh, that review um i do love the the aesthetics of it and i think it's a very artistic you know brilliantly created film but on the other side of it as well um i was not i was not surprised to learn that the director was like a, a maths graduate or something wasn't it yeah yeah uh, yes yeah. he was yeah Be- yeah because there is there is a methodical mind at play in putting the film together and well, I don't think yeah. I don't think that detracts anything from the artistry artistry of it. Um, but again, it goes back to that fact that I didn't follow it, but I was happy to know that the person making it had put it together methodically, that it did 
all makes sense. It didn't make sense to me, but if I put the effort into it, it would. I knew that it would. So I was, I was happy to go along for the ride. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't need to understand the the, geom- the geometry of the pattern. Um, I just looked at the pretty sort of snowflake that was the that, that was the end result. You know, like yeah. a magic eye picture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think um, Caruth said about uh, uh, his. Um, uh, the way that he looks at, at, uh, at narrative. I, I was reading an interview with him the other night where he sort of talked about um, his background in mathematics and sort of says that he sees narrative as, as base, essentially maths, uh, or math, as I should say, because he's an American, isn't he? Um, but, uh, and you can, I think you can see that in, 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 in the plotting of the film. You know, it's, it's very, uh, it's like an equation, isn't it? Like a, mm-hmm. a, an abstract equation, like algebra. Yeah. Well, there's a parallel there to... Um... Um, Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? Um, and, and and the creation behind that, and through the Looking Glass. There is indeed, uh, yeah. yeah. There is indeed. I mean, it, uh, the production took place over five weeks in 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 Dallas, and as you said, Ad uh, Caruth uh, did many things. He obviously wrote it, directed it, produced it, photographed it, edited it, and scored it as well as as well as appearing on the screen as as Aaron. Um, and uh, post-production took two years. I think it was somewhere between one year and two years. It was quite an extended period of time. And Caruth said that at that point he almost abandoned the project a couple of times because you know, he was getting a bit sort of frustrated with assembling, assembling the picture. Mm-hmm. And um, it was shown at Sundance in 2004 and it won the Grand Jury Prize. And I think that's probably the, um, the, uh, the literature from that is, is probably where I remember first hearing about it. And an acquired distribution in, in, in America by Think Film uh, in the US. And, and uh, it was that US DVD that, 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 that I bought. And then eventually it was released by Titan over here. I can't remember, but it was uh, 2005, 2006. But I think it took a little bit of time to sort of filter through to, to get a UK release. I don't know. I can't remember if Titan released it in the cinemas, even on a limited one, <coughs> whether, it, whether it went straight to DVD. But uh, I don't remember it playing at cinemas, but I could be wrong there. I mean, Caruth since then has, has, has only made one, although there's been sort of several projects that it's had mooted, including a topiary, which is another story about time travel, I think, um, which is a, a script that's been sort of uh, bounced around, uh, I think, for since since Prime's success. Mm-hmm. Um, he's only made the one film, which was Upstream Colour in uh, 2013. And um, yeah, like I was saying to you earlier, Adi, I, I, I watched Upstream Colour again last night. It still makes no sense to me. But I, I, I think Upstream Colour is, is uh, where, where was the, the plotting of Plyme is quite obscure, but it makes, as you say, Pete, there's a sense of it making sense. Upstream Colour feels more like a mood piece, I think, in many ways. And it's like a series mm. of um, interesting ideas and scenes that, that, that don't quite have a thesis statement to connect them. Um, uh, it's probably there, but maybe I'm just being a bit thick and I can't see it. But uh, um, but uh, it, you know, yeah, I think you have to sit and watch Upstream Colour and and go along for the ride. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So I think Upstream Colour is a, is an is an odd one, and it's because yeah. up, Upstream Colour. I think the thing with Upstream Colour, when I look think back on it, sort of thing is it's it's not a film about the characters. Is is no. more interesting. It's that that to me films like a, a mathematician or a, or an engineer looking at. Because it's basically it's a film about the life cycle of a parasite, isn't it? It is. Um, it's a film about the life cycle of a parasite, and the people are just subsidiary to the life cycle of the par- of the parasite. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. and so it's, so it, it, you're not really ever 
attached to these people because the, that you kind of view them as Caruth views them, which is kind of almost as experiment, you know, experiment pieces. They're just things for the experiment to see how it works. The important part is the parasite, which kind of like is not what you're used to in a film. I think that's what I took from it. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and so, there's a lot of your body horror, Cronenbergian body horror in, in that. Yeah, there is. Yeah. There's a great scene where uh, Amy, I've forgotten the name, I mentioned, I've mentioned earlier, I've forgotten the name, but the, the lead actress <coughs> plays a character called Chris. Chris is the character called. And um, she's been uh, she's been forced for, forced to ingest this, this um, it's like a grub, isn't it, AD? Yeah. And, uh, and, um, and it leads her to being... Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, 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 very, very easily influenced, <laughs> like almost mm-hmm. like a hypnotic state. And uh, there's this guy that's forced her to ingest this grub, tells her to read Walden, I think, copy out Walden and drink glasses of water as a reward and so on. But there's a point where she's laid on the bed that you've got this this grub thing burrowing under her, her flesh, haven't you? Very, very much like shivers. That's yeah. it. Mm. Yeah. Well, if if you want, if, if it's body horror you're after, Pete, you might want to watch that. Mm. It doesn't surprise me that at all that he's made a film that that that's like that because it, it like I say that when I didn't know what was going on, it really did sort of strike me as something like like that. You know that's my that might be where it was going. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, um, should we move on to the discussion of the film? Uh, yeah, does, yeah. It, does anybody want to sort of start with anything that they they particularly think stands out to them that they found uh, particularly um, interesting? Well, I think again for me that that the first scene in the kitchen. Uh, well, it might not be the very first scene, but one one of the first scenes in the kitchen. Um, I don't think it, it's kind of come up in a in a, a couple of the other podcasts, I think, and I think there's a study here somewhere. Um, a, about the about where where the key focus and action of the film sits within the world sort of going on around it you know a bit like magnolia or something i suppose you know a sense that that life is still happening around whatever we're focusing on so that that sort of scene around the kitchen table where the wife is tidying away the pots in the background yeah. Oh, and, yeah, because that's um, the sound that you can hear, isn't it, on the mm-hmm. soundtrack? It's the clinking of the pots as they're talking yeah. about this. So, again, yeah. it's that it's that thing that we're all... That the characters themselves are so caught up in, and we and we become caught up in as well as the viewers. But at the same time, the, the dishes need putting away, and, and she's yeah. off. She's probably off into the living room to watch some telly or something. Yeah. Um, and, and, and But, again, I mean, that's one thing. But also, I think in that same scene... With that, with her sort of doing the dishes, like obviously these are the uh, focus of the film, the characters on the men on the table. So we know that they're going to do something that's important or something. Um, but at the time, they could just as easily be talking about uh, the football scores, or yeah. could be playing poker, or playing Dungeons and Dragons, or something. Um, yeah. It's just four blokes sat around a. A kitchen table as as the wife is like oh they're they're doing they're doing their thing i'll just put the the di- the dishes away and and keep out the way sort of thing yeah yeah no. yeah i mean i mean that's part of the, part of the texture of it isn't it the scientists aren't the, the sort of the boffins in lab coats and most hollywood films but the corporate lackeys aren't the frustrated that live a, a suburban uh suburban life mm-hmm. uh as you say the white shirts and the ties and 
and um, you know, and and Carruth uh, had lived that life, and he as a software mm. engineer, so that but, that experience kind of enriches the text, I think. And yeah, well, so I think. People, sorry, you know, sorry, so sorry. It's just... I think I was just going to sort of make a point. You know, so many Hollywood films that you watch, um, you feel very much that they're written by people with very limited life experience, mm. and that sort of shows in the quality of the writing. Well, exactly. Whereas when you watch Primer, it feels very authentic because mm. you know, of course, Carruth had, had sort of lived, lived and worked as a as a software engineer and it builds that experience into the into the narrative sorry pete i was yeah well I, it just it popped into my head as you were talking about that that it, it's almost like early spielberg like et where you really feel like it's ordinary life is going on and then something happens to it rather than just it being you know the opening credits where we're just seeing that this is the guy that something's going to happen to we really do get a sense of of just and, and close encounters you know there's mm. life going on um before this stuff happens and develops well, yeah, and evolves and i think yeah, well, they reference that don't they in the conversation where he's on about what happened a year before and how we'll take ownership of that and how it went wrong or something so but you never told what mm. you know it's not important yeah. it never it's not important but i think what is important <laughs> is the notion that the, the, we're, we're, we're joining them at a point in time mm. where the important things are about to happen and, and it doesn't you know but they're not but like you say sort of thing it's it's not about that you know there's there's no notion that everything has to be explained and that that that, that conversation kind of sets up how the rest of the film is going to be and like there's a lot of things that we're going to reference here i'm not going to tell you what they are you're just going to have to know you know go with it and i think that sort of sets almost sets the tone for the film Mm, um, yeah, in in yeah. that in that respect, just for me anyway, I think that's quite an, quite an important conversation because you know it sets up the dynamic as well. And I think coming back to the white shirts, the other two don't have white shirts on, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, I think they're, 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 in, they're in different coloured shirts, which um, you know it kind of you know it, it sets Abe and Aaron out um, from the other two. It puts them as a pair and puts the other yeah. two as the as the other two. Um, you know. Um, and so we see them um, as 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 a pairing sort of thing. And I, I also think it's quite clever that um, and, and I, I, this has, it has to be it has to be um, um, uh, it has to be you know purposeful that they're called Aaron and Abe, which is AA and AA and AB. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the start of their names. There's, there's no, that's mm. not that's not you know coincidence. That's that's you know because they at one point they talk about it goes in at the A and it yeah, comes, out, yeah. comes out of the B, and yeah. they're talking about A and B, and the, you know they're almost like this, the first the, the, you know the first two that do it sort of thing. They're the first two names you get in a book when you're looking at book, name books. There's 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 something in those names of Aaron and Abe mm. um, yeah. that this just also you know shows a consideration to the, the you know everything else that's going on. Um, whether it's you know whether whether you know that link where they do talk about it goes in at the A and comes out of the B and that's mm. you know I don't know but it did strike me that there's there's something in those names as well. Yeah. Because the, the, the other ones that is Richard and I can't remember the other guy's name. Let me just check. Um, it's it's Richard it's sorry it's Robert and Philip in it the other two yeah yeah um and and you know they're cast aside quite quickly when once it gets going um but it's yeah so I, I like that that opening sequence I think I think you're right Pete it sets a tone and a mood and um you know and and also as well don't forget you know going on over this um and before that we've got that voiceover. Mm. Um, yes, yeah. Is it worth? I mean, it's worth discussing that voiceover that runs through the film. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is from one one of the versions of Aaron 
that uh, uh, have been produced by the experiment, really, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a recording, isn't it, which kind of plays. I mean, of course, <clears throat> you know, later in the story, we've got this revelation that uh, that um, Aaron's been uh, um, uh, conducting his own experiments in a lockup next to the neighbouring lockup, uh, uh, to the the one in which Aaron and Abe have, have built their uh, time travel coffin, if you like. As the, as they refer to it as the thing, mm. the box, and the coffin, don't they? The, yeah, um, the fail and the fail safe. Mm. The fail safe. And, um, and and so Aaron's recorded the day's uh, activities, and he, he's constantly listening to that in an earpiece three seconds ahead. So almost like a premonition, isn't it? Mm, and, uh, yeah. And it's um, and, and that earpiece is, is is kind of one of the ways that you can tell the original Aaron from the the uh, the double. If you yeah. Like, or the tre- or the treble. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. Uh, you know, it's a it's such a subtle thing, but you, you, if you don't know that, you get so easily confused. But when you watch it a second or a third time, and, and you know that that's yeah. that earpiece is so important, it's uh, you know it becomes. Uh, well, because it's just it's just a thing that people you know might be listening to, a, you know, a bit of music or the radio or something. You don't exactly, you, yeah. You, yeah. You, it's just it's just a piece of you know if it was some weird sort of sci-fi thing, um, it would stand out. But because this film is rooted so heavily in you know normality the everyday um yeah the everyday it, it just it just kind of works yeah um, yeah so, I mean, so you, yeah yeah I, mean, I, I, I was just going to say i was going back to that idea that i think the time travel is, is a MacGuffin really and i think what, what i take from the film is this uh this study of alienation in, in, in the sort of the tech urban lights in the southwest these people that work in sort of those tech industries in that in that region of america and you've got these two characters, Aaron and Abe, that, as we say, that how similar they are. They're virtually indistinguishable at the start, but their relationship um, deteriorates, doesn't it, as the experiment goes on, the trust fractures, uh, almost as if, you know, some latent traits have been pushed to the foreground by the invention and what it represents. And, and um, you know, they they begin to, even on the, that first uh, experiment, they begin to uh, show their differences because Abe's very resourceful and reserved, whereas Aaron's quite impulsive. And it's Aaron who kind of cocks up by keeping his mobile telephone on, doesn't he, during the first trip back, which foreshadows his later betrayal of Abe, having built his own uh, version of the time travel coffin in, in the neighbouring lockup. Yeah. Um, and 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 after that, they that Aaron and Abe debate. Uh, they they realise that they've, they've created something, but they don't. Quite, they're not quite sure what it is. And instead of the the question isn't what it is. The question is what is its application, isn't it? Which kind of points to the corporate brainwashing if you like that, that, it that does. these guys live in you know in other words how can it make money um it, it's a necessity isn't the mother of invention here is it it's kind of you know well I, th- I th- necessitates finding an application for what's been created yeah sorry, i thought that, I, sorry i was gonna i was gonna say something one of the things that struck me was um as we watch these films and you kind of watch them in short order and especially in a certain period of time um there was a th- one of the themes of this that which I kind of never sort of put my finger on something um echoed back to a simple plan yeah. um and we watched obviously a simple plan and that was what was that 99 that's late 90s wasn't it so not too far apart um yeah. and so I th- one of the things that that was when the, the you know the tag tagline from that one of the things that we struck out to us when we discussed that was uh you you, you know you can't you, you can't just steal the american dream or something you have to work for it yeah, um yeah. and 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 again this what i thought was you know the, the notion is they build a time machine and instead of like how, how incredible sort of thing that you know it's like how can we how can we dodge the american dream and just get rich 
um, yeah, go to, exactly, go to yeah, Vegas. Yeah. It's, that, it's yeah. that thing again. And, and that, <clears throat> notion, that notion is that, you know, there's a thing in this film, again, sim- similar to a simple plan sort of thing that, you, you know, whether it's, a, I don't know, part of society, but you kind of, you can't, you know, nothing comes for free. You can't get, you can't get it, you know, for nothing. Bad things will happen if you try and shirk the system, should we say. Um, yeah. And I think that that's something I, I kind of never sort of put my finger on in this film. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's one of that, you know, if you try and, you know, fast track it without the hard work and things like that, I mean, try and, you know, go around things, sort of thing, it doesn't always yeah. work. And, I, and and again, sort of thing, I mean, if we think this was 2004, um, you know, just a few years before we'd seen, um, you know, the big dot-com bubble burst and everything like that. So there's a lot of, a lot of that was sort of, I think a lot of that maybe feeds into this notion of, you know, tech, tech. I don't want to say, you know, engineers and stuff like that trying to think of the next big thing, yeah. um, which sort of, you know, that they can publish and, you know, make money from and, you know, go off and do their own thing and become the next Steve Jobs or Bill yeah. Gates or whatever. And I think that, that, that infuses this. It's that, it's that trying to get around, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's a similar sort of thing. It's the story of, you know, Bill Gates creating windows in it and, you know, on his, in his garage. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very, there's, echo, there's echoes of that in this, which I, I quite like. Um, but th- that's that's one of the things that struck out to me on on this repeated viewing, which I kind of not noticed before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when they realised the commercial value of the time travel machine, the, the first thing, the first impulse is to hide it from the colleagues, isn't it? You know, to make that nest egg, and to use the knowledge of the future to play the stock market. And that's kind of when I, I mentioned Back to the Future too earlier. I was sort of half joking, but it reminds me of the almanac. Mm. Yes, the yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, uh, the sports almanac, which. Um, uh, uh, um, Marty takes back into the past, and Biff finds it, doesn't he? And, and Biff, you know, uh, creates this parallel uh, reality where where he's become a rich, uh, um, like uh, like the Dick Jones in OCP, isn't he? Sitting in that sort of that, that penthouse suite, and, and you know, all this this kind of uh, poverty beneath. Um, but yeah, the, 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 that that reminds me of the almanac in in, um, mm. in Back to the Future too. And, what, and the other thing I, is that, sorry, Pete. No, it's me. Go on, go on. Sorry. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, no. I was just going to say the other the other thing that, that that's notable is that 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 they sort of have these um, uh, when they realise that the the potential for time travel, they have these uh, quite these unspectacular protagonists sort of fantasise about quite mundane things like using the device to provide an alibi for going back and punching the boss on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that weird sidebar where. They go back and stop that gun-wielding intruder at the party with the intention of impressing the boss of Abe's girlfriend, isn't it? Rachel? Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so it, it, again, there's that um, sort of conversation that, uh, uh, thinking back to the Ring of Gyges, you know, that uh, which I mentioned earlier uh, in one of the earlier uh, podcasts, you know, if you could get away with something, would you do it? Does that make, if, if you, you know, if you can invent time machine and provide a perfect alibi to go and punch your boss on the nose would you do that don't answer that question <laughs> <laughs> well and that's the interesting thing about what this does with time travel because i quite there's there's an idea that you know come they come to at the very end sort of thing which is it's the the last revision that sort of implants itself into people's mm. minds which yeah. is kind of it's a, it's a very weird thing because it's like how many how many because he, you know it says how many times did he go back until he you know perfected this perfect moment um and and, and all that sort of thing where you're, you're this notion that this it's not like back to the future where there's you know infinite splits and parallel universes and all these kind of things split off sort of thing no it doesn't happen if you go back and change something then that just becomes the new the new thing yes and it's, yeah. kind of, it's kind of and then just kind of overwrites it's like re-recording a tape yeah 
yeah. um, you know, just over and over again. And the thing is, the thing that gets re-recorded with that, you know, if you're re-recording a tape and you re-record and re-recording the tape, it eventually starts to degrade. And that's what starts to happen to them. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, they're the things that's changing. They're the things that's getting rewritten all the time. They're having to re-record all these new stuff on top of the, the old things. And that's why, you know, they, they, they forget how to write. They, mm. they have, you know, they, they, you know, there's a there's a great one of the reviews I sort of read um, noted the bit where one of them, you know, the notice the blood on the shirt. And it's like, you know, where's that come from? And they're really like, oh, it's your ear. Your ear's bleeding. Yeah. yeah. And um, one of them, you know, I always thought that was just a symptom of the time travel. And because obviously we find out that Aaron's gone back and he's done it more than Abe at this point. We're not aware of that yes. at the time. We think Abe has done it more, but we understand that as we go on that Aaron has done it more. And whether it's a, it's a symptom of that, but in a review I read, is, that, is, or is it that or is it a symptom of, is that actually happening to one of the, the doppelgangers that are around? Is this some causal link? I think it's yeah. quite an interesting thing. Are these are these three? There's three Aaron's warrant wandering around. Yeah. Um. You know, and, and like you said, that bit where they have the conversation about punching the boss, and they're talking about rats in the attic. Yeah. Mm, well, we, yeah. we learn later that's that's another Aaron. That's right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's and it's all this. It's so convoluted. But the there are. I mean, if we there are some issues with the, with the film sort of thing. There's a couple of bits which um do confuse me sort of thing. One of them is. It's to do with some of the editing, um, and there's the sequence. There's a sequence near the beginning where Abe wakes up and he's a, and he's sort of on the floor, mm. and it, and he's kind of looking something. It kind of cut really weirdly. Um, it's kind of cut very strangely, sort of like he kind of wakes up and he's asleep, and then he's kind of he's looking for stuff, and then you know Aaron phones him up, and and I'm always wondering what is, do you think that's just a product of the production? Uh, or do you think there's something purposeful in in that editing of that bit because it's uh, before they've gone back in time? Yeah, I, I think I think the the the, the editing is quite interesting. There's a lot of um, uh, elliptical cuts with with you know chunks missing out, and jump cuts essentially, and and, uh, and there's a lot of repeated action, which reminds me a bit. I don't know if you used to watch Homicide in the nineties, the Homicide Life on the Street, but they used to a point of uh, narrative importance that would repeat the action in the edit and. That was quite impactful, um, almost like an exclamation point. And I think you find those kind of uh, enigmatic uh, uh, types of edit used in this film. But you see them also in upstream colour as well. There's a lot of jump cuts mm. in upstream colour. and There's a lot of sort of repetition. Uh, I was going to say, I mean, I don't want to get too much into jump, upstream colour, but uh, um, I was saying it was a bit, a bit sort of more of a mood piece than a narrative-led film. Um but there's uh, there's so much in upstream colour that that is essentially sort of symbolic montage, you know, cutting the people against the pigs and so on and so forth. Mm. And, and I think in Primer you get a sense of Caruth trying to um, play uh, with the editing uh, because in some ways film itself is a time machine, isn't it? You know, uh, it allows you to uh, sort of replay the past. Mm. And I think that's kind of what what he's, he's sort of saying with the... I mean, you said about the, the strip lights at the start uh, looking like a reel of film, didn't you, I think, Aidan? Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that um, Caruth's doing is, is using film itself or highlighting the extent to which film itself is sort of a time travel device. You know, you can use overlapping edits and repeated actions and elliptical cuts, and it creates a sense of in, intrigue and fascination, I think. Um, uh, uh, and Enigma that that yeah. that, uh, 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 that 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 uh, parallels in the story's depiction of of the, the the box, the coffin, the the thing, 
um, and, and the time travel that that enables. Yeah, because uh, there's, so there's another there's, there's another sequence like that, another odd, odd edit later on when um, their boss appears in the car behind them, um, and they're they're talking about having seen him earlier that day, and then they get out of the car and chase him. But yeah, just before yeah. they get out, just before they get out of the car, there's like an insert of them chasing him. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's it's like, hang on, has this happened? Is this is this is this the other version being rewritten? Um, yeah, exactly, you know yeah. what's what's going on here, sort of thing, and and where and obviously there's that whole sequence. I mean, and and this is where the film, you know, and which is why I really, you know, when you I started to love the film is like this whole sequence when they see their boss, um, you know, and he's like, we saw him four, three hour, four hours ago, and he was clean shaven, and now he's got three days of the growth. Yeah, 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 and it's like, and and suddenly they start to realize something that this thing is spiraling and paralleling, you know. And like you said about the mundanity of stuff, oh, we're just going to go back and change this so that kid don't wake me up and I can get a good night's sleep. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, yeah. As the viewer, you're like, stop it. You know, but once that power is in your hand to go back and change stuff, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, it's that notion of having that conversation with someone and you walk away and you go, I really wish I'd said that. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, now you can. You just got to go in a yeah. box for a few hours. Um, uh, and it, it's it's all that to do with, and that's you know that mundanity of being able to change and make your life kind of into a perfect thing. Um, when you know that's not what life life is. Just this, you can't control it. There's too many, as as you know, as the thing which they should understand sort of thing. There's just too many variables in in yeah. life. You know, it's too many, it's too much randomness to even try to think you can get some kind of control on it. Uh, even just locking yourself away in a, um, uh, you know, in a hotel room. Which it does have my, one of my favourite lines in the whole film, which is like, "I'm really hungry. I haven't eaten yes. since like like I haven't eaten since later this afternoon." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's such a great line. Yeah, I've written uh, that down. Yeah, yeah. Such a brilliant um, line. I think that as as you were talking before um, about the um, the invention of the thing and finding a purpose for it, and then it going wrong and it sort of corrupting and you know the the ear bleeding and the bad handwriting and stuff i think all that all that sort of um, as echoes of cronenberg's fly um, yeah. uh, you know the yeah. sort of yeah. stumbling upon this invention and then sort of you know misusing it and it going a bit thing uh, I, I i must i must say at this point though it's uh, it's getting a bit smelly under my blanket <laughs> <laughs> can we edit that out <laughs> no i'm leaving that in um <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I think I think um, again coming from this not knowing what was going on it gave me a, a really great sort of viewing um, experience I think um, especially as, as the build and the test go on um, you know the, when they really start putting it together and, and the noises and things um, the sense of uneasiness is 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 massive um yeah. especially when you you know you don't know what it's about or anything you don't know what's coming um and it reminded the the stuff with the putting the the thing together and the, these big bangs and hums and reverberations and stuff reminded me so much of um uh Tarkovsky um Stalker and Solaris oh yes um yeah, yeah Solaris of that thick I think in Solaris you get that sense of other other things going on that we don't quite see as yeah. well you know, so like the the boss wandering around for a few days and stuff, and just getting glimpses and of these things that we get a sense of real dread and and uneasiness yeah, about I it. Think, 
I think that's kind of what Peter Bradshaw was getting at in, in sort of suggesting the uh, influence of Coppola's The Conversation, because mm. you, you get that in the conversation. And not just The Conversation, but the parallax view, isn't there, of course. There's the old president's men, those kind of paranoid thrillers of the 70s. And there's so much uh, this idea of things going on in the background that, yeah. that are hinted at, that, that build up the sense of paranoia. In the well, I think it was one of the most genuinely creepy bits of film especially you know when you don't know what's going on um and i think the the um influence of sound and things reminded me a bit of um robert wise's andromeda strain as well yeah um and and it was just really genuinely creepy that that whole sense of it being built in the garage and what it was going to grow into and what yeah. what's going to happen well i think the whole lo-fi effects uh, of the picture you know that the, the the thing, the box, the coffin, it's just that. It's a metal box with a, a hum and a whine on the soundtrack, isn't it? There's nothing more. There's no fancy digital effects. I think that's that's quite unsettling, isn't it? And the sort of the claustrophobia of shutting yourself in that that thing. Um, and, and uh, 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 you know, it, it, it's, it's very lo-fi. And that's mirrored in the film itself, you know, of course, as we know, the uh, very uh, uh, cautious way that... Uh, uh, can we shot the picture, uh, you know, with only single takes or, or two takes at most. And in the in the film, you, you get that as well, because you've got Abe and Aaron, uh, is it Abe trying to penny pinch by stripping parts from a working refrigerator? It's like taking a copper tube in and, and, yeah, the and the catalytic converter from the car. Exactly, for the platinum. And, and, yeah. uh, I thought that line, he goes, well, is it, is, it, is it needed? Well, I'm sure it would be needed if something says. <laughs> exactly, sure I'm yeah, sure it's yeah. necessary. <laughs> They won't yeah. put it in there if it's not necessary. Yeah, and, and, and the, the locations are so unspectacular, as, you, as I've said, like the suburban garage, the, the lock-up. And the, strangeness, yeah. and the strangeness of, like, Abe's living arrangements with those kids just in, watching TV in the room and they're, they're, they're really awkward around them and don't yeah. want to come up. And it's just, yeah, and, you know, but Aaron having this entire entire other life with, with a wife and everything, it just seems... It seems it seems at odds, um, but like you said, yeah, it's just a it's just a level of um, unnervingness to it. Like when they go and you know, it's just a, is it a U-Haul or something? No, uh, no, U-Storage, whatever the storage is called. Yeah, storage yeah. device. It's just one of those things, isn't it? Something. There's nothing. There's nothing out of the ordinary in any of this film whatsoever, apart oh, from yeah. you know the, the actual plot itself. Yeah. That that kind of really gave me a strong sort of deja vu sense of. Um, of watching early episodes of Doctor Who when you were young, you've, yeah. you've got you've got no preconceptions about what's coming, you know. So it's not about all oh, this is typical science fiction codes and conventions and tropes and all that stuff. You genuinely don't know what's coming, but also the fact that it's set in things like um, you know old uh, gravel pits and quarries, yeah, and, but, yeah. but also quiet streets because they were cheap places to film. Yeah. And um, I mean. I just happened, my, my brother lived in Lincoln and there happened to be an old gravel pit sort of thing. So we could find ourselves in that, that you weren't supposed to be in. So it was deserted. And all of a sudden you find yourself in this creepy place because it was recognisable because someone had done something scary to it yeah. on TV. Um, but just walking around a, a quiet street that was a cul-de-sac or something. And again, you think, ooh, you know, a, a Dalek's going to come around the corner or something. But... <laughs> I think going going back to that thing of it genuinely being creepy when they were building that thing, that's I haven't felt that in in my adult sort of viewing of films. Only, only as a child, when when you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, 
I mean, uh, I think Cronenberg does that quite well. I think in, in Scanners, you know, the, the, those kind of uh, corporate environments, Rabid, there's, there's that great scene at the end of Rabid, isn't there, where the guys riding around on the bin trucks? You know, it's all very sort of mundane environments, but, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and um, those two early films of his Crimes of the Future and Stereo, I think, are very, very good at creating sort of unsettling. I suppose uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers as well, the, yeah. the 70s version. Yeah, quite a few. Oh, sorry, Eddie. I was going to say it follows works on that as well. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. I think more recently. Um, Yeah. um, But uh, uh, yeah, and what was that? Sorry, no, go on, Paul. You were going to say. Uh, I can't remember that. (laughs) No, I was going to say something as well. There's there's another bit I was going to say. Oh, just as as an aside as well, just as uh, something I didn't again noticed again from the watching it this time. Um, Abe's surname is Turger. Um, which I've only just realised is regret backwards. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah. Um, so because uh, I only accept because when he when he sort of pans in on when he sort of sees his name on the manifest for the uh, storage place, um, I kind of was just watching it and I was like, that's regret backwards. And I thought, okay, there's another, you know, that's clearly another purposeful thing. Because I've always thought Turga's a really weird surname, um, yeah. an odd surname, but it's actually just regret backwards, which you you know again plays into this whole. You know the time travel. You regret what's got you. You know, does he regret what he's doing? All that sort of stuff. I mean, there's no point. I don't know. I I could sit and talk about Primal all day. Sort of thing. It's just it's just one of the, it's one of those films that just you know invites discussion um, about you know which is the real version and what what's what's going on. Um, and yeah, that that I think I don't know what to, I was going to say something about the mundanity again, sort of thing. But it's it's gone now. Sorry, I've I've lost it. It was something. But Pete, Pete you, were, you inspired me to say something, but it's it, I've now lost it. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, uh, I mean, if you think about time travel stories, I mean, a lot of Hollywood time travel films uh, uh, refer back to H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, don't they? This idea that you get in an apparatus and then travel back in time. I mean, of course, you've got Back to yeah. the Future, DeLorean. The, the, the other side of the time travel equation... I mean, there's more, probably more than two, of course. But the other side of the time travel equation is that where a person finds themselves sort of reliving uh, the same day, Groundhog Day, you know, where there's no mm. sort of external apparatus, but but they find themselves locked in a time loop. And I think Primer kind of marries both of those, doesn't it? Because it's got it's got that element of um, there is a device that they climb into, but it's not mm. particularly spectacular. It's just a coffin and then get out. And um, you know, and, and and then they've got the, these doubles walking around, which is kind of very Edgar Allan Poe-esque, you know, the William Wilson story about the doppelgangers, which is uncanny in itself. And this idea of meeting one's alternate self, which, as you say, had already been posited in um, Back to the Future 2 and, and handled that theme quite well, but in a in a more sort of... Uh, uh, and, and, and also, let's not forget Time Cop. Time Cop, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, let's, but, let's, uh, let's give Time Cop its dues, because I think you know Time Cop didn't get enough uh, enough respect, in my opinion. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> moving I'll, quickly on. Yeah, moving swiftly. Moving swiftly <laughs> on. So uh, when we talk about sudden death next. Um, but, um, uh, but but um, but but uh, it, there is an apparatus that they get into in Primer. But mm. I think the film's more dominated by the sense of the uncanny that you get in. In, in the, the Groundhog yeah. Day style narratives, where you know, I mean that that's that's what I was going to say was the um in in this sort of thing. What one of the things I really like is that extended period of time, where after when after Aaron's first sat on the bench and, and Abe comes out 
the, the tour and, and they got so he goes body fibers to show you one of the most incredible things and there's that quite extended section where I'm, I'm going to explain this to you very slowly um because it feels like you know that, that's what scientists would do i need to explain this to you but it's you know and, and show you my workings and show you my rationale and show you all the theory behind it so he does all the whole that we text him to see the scientists you know talks about the um the fungus that's growing on the weevil and then the and then the watches and everything that whole that whole long sequence you know and the beauty of that sequence is when you realize it later on sort of thing aaron is aaron completely knows all this but just going along with it because he's got the headset in um and, and it's you know he, he knows all he's got you know and he's asking those questions what about the watch digital or digital or analog and that whole seat and, and the guy's like you know this is a joke you know it's a joke you know, and, and I really like that leading up to the moment outside the storage place where you you see the other Abe, um, yeah. the, the, the way that that whole, you know, it feels like a, a mathematician, an engineer explaining, right, these are the steps I have taken already, you know, to to allay your, you know, this is my this is my research. Um, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. I've done this. You know, I've tried all these things and this is where we are right now. Um, and what you know, try, trying to lay it out from that. I really, really like that whole sequence because it feels true to those characters, and yeah. it's not just like um, you built a time machine out of a DeLorean. Well, you know, if we're going to do it, just do it with some style. There you go, job done. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and get caught up in those questions like, can can a, can a mobile telephone ring in two places at once? Yeah, and the you whole know, thing when, about you you can never go further back than when you turn the box on. Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 Aaron references that right at the very end, doesn't he? He goes, "What's the problem? The problem is you can never go back far enough. You can't go back because the box wasn't on." Um, and you know that that kind of that as you were as you were alluding to there, Pete, something that kind of sense of realism, that sense of if we're going to have some rules, these are the rules. This is yeah. what it is. The box is the thing. The box needs to be switched on. It goes in a loop, and you can get in that loop and ride it and get out at a certain point. That's your rule. And so mm. that 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 for me sort of grounds this film, and you know, and I think you're right, sort of Pete. There is a, a terrifying aspect to that, um, and it, and it works really well in that, as you were saying, Paul, that lo-fi aesthetic. Just it all yeah. just it all just comes together and works perfectly. Mm. In, in that. I think some of that unnervingness as well. It, it, it sort of it reminds me a little bit of of things like the the Prestige and yeah. um, being John yeah. Malkovich as well. You know, they, they, oh, they've yes, got their, yeah. they've got their own rules and things, and there's something that what are the consequences? But it's not in a boring way, like the butterfly effect. You know, where what are the consequences of time travel and things is all. You know, it's very much the plot action device, sort of. You know, and if this happens, or do you wake up like this and that? There's a an ominous like like that humming that those sounds there's this ominous threat of things doppelgangers wandering about and things yeah. out of out of place and out of existence that, that's coming yeah. from it because if if i knew that this was time travel i i, I probably would have gone into it really with a um, a, a negative thought because a, a lot of time travel uh films are, are just that same thing of you know what are the consequences and and it's a very trite and, as, and I, as, I, as i as i call it homer's toaster yeah 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 exactly um but they've managed to do something really really different yeah mm. I, th I think the the, the the doppelganger thing is is so sort of unnerving anyway I think well there was there's a theme yeah there's a there's um there's a, a series called invasion 
that oh, yes, I, yes. I really liked, and it it was after <laughs> Lost, it was after Lost had come out, but I hadn't watched Lost when everyone else was, and everyone was talking about it, and Invasion came out and I thought oh, I'm going to watch this and then I can join in with the conversations with everyone and stuff but no bugger watched it I watched, uh, I watched it, it was I, I, I watched it I loved mm-hmm. it but there was a there was a moment in there I mean it's a sort of invasion of body snatchers sort of thing where they 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 grab hold of you and, and they make a copy sort of thing but there was there was a, an episode where an unfinished um copy of the sort of waster beardy guy um it's sort of they, they find it and it's just this flashes of him in, in the mirror and they turn around and he's there sort of laying on the ground all sort of you know not formed fully and then they take him in and, and look after him and it doesn't do anything it just slowly sort of dies you know a bit like the I don't, i'm not saying he slowly dies but a bit like the bloke the the boss in in primer um a, a sort of a, a casualty of of the process of whatever's going on yeah, a bit like Bennings in the thing, you know, when 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 he they go outside, is is sort of half formed, half human, isn't he? With that sort of elongated those talons, and he mm. yeah. that awful guttural sort of scream, doesn't he? As they yeah. sort of set him on fire, that's a really unsettling scene, I think, because you've got this the uncanny idea of a, a clone of somebody, um, but they're not quite recognisable as 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 human, and and. Uh, you know, and, and and you have that with as you as you were saying, Aidy, with this sense of deterioration in, in Aaron and Abe that the the, the, the count write, uh, yeah. the, the, the forget, forget how to write. That's putting it too tritely, but you know what I mean. And and, uh, and that that bleeding that, that Aaron displays from the ear as well, uh, almost like a photostat photostat copies that degrade. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, that's yeah, what I thought. Yeah. yeah, and it's like when you put you know the, the whole when they do uh, when. Um, Mr. Granger does turn up, sort of thing, and then he chases after him, and the, the, then Abe finds him just sort of both collapsed on the floor, and Aaron's like, "Oh, I think," and, and, and the other one's just kind of almost catatonic, and yeah. you know they kind of just go, "We need to talk about the catatonic guy," and the thing, and it's kind of just that's it, and it's this, it's this notion of playing with something, you you, you simply you, you know you set loose this power, and you can't yeah. control, you can't control it. You yeah. cannot, you know, they think they can. They think they're clever enough to control something that, mm. you know, works or thing. But it, it just, you know, it, the the mind isn't set to deal with mm. paradoxical time travel. We just, you know, mm. our brains are just not set that way. Mm. You know, yeah. cause yeah. cause and effect is there for a reason. Mm. Well, I think we mentioned flatliners last time, didn't we? And that's yes, maybe yeah. a sense of where flatliners was was trying to go. Maybe that they meddle with something and it releases. Something, but Primer does it in a much creepier. Sort it's of... a bit it's quietly Lovecraftian, isn't it? I think. You know, yeah. Uh, yes. In, in that sense, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It reminded me of something else, but I'll, I'll probably I'll, I'll save that for another discussion. I think. <laughs> um, so, uh, did anybody sort of have any anything else they wanted to sort of say in terms of discussion of the film? Mark, you've been quiet. You have been quite yeah, quiet. Yeah, I haven't wanted to interrupt. Um, like, like I said, when I <clears throat> I've only watched it the once, and I found it very hard to to to, to follow in terms of the story and the plot. So, like, like I said, from what I took away, it was more more about the characters, about those two and their relationship, and. I, I immediately sort of identified with them because I, I saw them as you know two guys who who hate their day jobs and and spend their spare time dedicated to trying 
to make something of their life through something they love, which yes, is yeah. which, which is something you know I I, I relate to because I've had many many a job that I've hated and I've always tried to you know spend my spare time trying to build something else for myself and um, yes. mm-hmm. and um, hasn't gone that well so far but you never know and um, and then I I was you know I spent the the film watching these these two incredibly smart individuals and um i got excited with them you know when when they invented something i had no idea what they invented because like i said i had no idea what was going on but um i got excited with them i was sad at the end when you know when they when they i say split up obviously they're not in a relationship but when they parted ways um yeah, I just felt sort of, I felt a bit bereaved at the end of it because yeah, um, yeah. I liked mm-hmm. I liked following these two guys who were just trying to make something out of their passion and yeah. and then you know trying to and then sort of watching it corrupt them a little bit as well. Yeah, um, yeah. that was my takeaway from the film because, like I say, a story story and plot. Like I, say, I found it a very relaxing film to watch, even though I had no idea what was going on because. <laughs> the best way to it's... best way to watch this film just let it wash over you mm. yeah well, exactly yeah. And it, it did it went it washed over me and it's like pete said i i was very confident in the fact that the people who were doing the talking knew what they were on about mm. and it's obviously extremely well written and 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 you know the writer is obviously a very intelligent intelligent man and uh, it got to about halfway through and i was thinking i don't understand this and i'm not going to understand this but I, I am enjoying it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Um, so I, I tried to sort of, not tried to, I sort of did concentrate more on yeah. on the story between these two these two young men. And again, I mean, yeah. what, so I was just going to say, in the same way I wouldn't have probably looked forward to it if I knew it was a time travel thing. Again, the idea of two friends, it's a bit like the, the neo-noir things we've looked at, a simple plan and stuff. If if I knew it centered around two friends slowly sort of drifting apart or distrusting each other and things like that, again I'd have thought, oh, it's a bit you know done. But it's done in such a good way that when it just unfolds, you know, nothing, you've got no expectations. Um, it's not trite at all. It's not contrived. Um, it's done really well. You sort of feel yeah. like you've been told something without knowing you've been told it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in, in that respect. So yeah, I think in in that respect, Pete, I think that the the lo- the lo-fi, the lack of budget, you know, kind of kind of helps it because he couldn't do anything. He had to keep it grounded, and and it, that that really works for what you know what this film is mm. about, sort of thing. He had to keep it in a yeah. in a sense of solid, you know, realistic styling, you know, mm. and even the more fantastical elements, you know, like you were saying, Paul, it's just a box, <laughs> it's yeah. just a box, it's just a box exactly, and yeah. a, a box and a hum and a clank. That's it. Yeah. That's your time travel. Yeah. There's no flying mm. DeLoreans here, um, yeah. and that's what for me what really works. Because if mm. if time travel was to be a thing, if it's something, it, you could just see it. This is probably how it would you know, it would would appear by accident. Yeah, I think the the great misconception is that as soon as in someone invents a time machine, that's it. They're off to look at dinosaurs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that or, that or look at lottery numbers. The sound of thunder and all that one. Yeah. I mean, if, um, if, if, sorry, Matt, you were I found I found the lack of, you know, 
fancy and fanciness and budget and stuff. And and yes, I suppose that. And I found it quite refreshing, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nice to, to to sit and watch a film that that basically takes place in a a garage, b a storage unit, and c a hotel room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's still it's still about this grand sci-fi thing, isn't it? That normally. Yeah you'd expect to see CGI aplenty. So the fact that they've managed to accomplish such a satisfying and and very well done story. Well again it's and it's well done is very admirable. Yeah. They've got the confidence to slow down. Mm. You know, and a bit like I mean not to the same extent as Stalker, but you know, they're not in a rush and it, yeah, you know, you're just happy to sit with it. Mm. Yeah. I, I wish I was that my, smart, though, to know what they were on about. <laughs> I, think, I think my takeaway from revisiting Prime is that uh, I sort of really miss that, that, that era of uh, independent films that that, 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 that that could achieve this, as you say, with very, sort of, very, uh, very inventive with limited resources. As I say, what's interesting about the, the, the time machine is that they sort of they invent it. There's no need to invent it. it they create it and then try and find an application for it afterwards. But with Caruso's approach to making the film, of course, when you've got limited resources, limited budget, necessity is the mother of invention. So you've got to come up with ways of sort of circumventing the lack of resources. And so you, you find what you do is is you, you you spend time on sort of you know coming up with an interesting narrative and, and characters that have interesting relationships. And I think it's a, a bit of a shame really that that so many sort of current indie films attempt to ape the the sort of the Hollywood uh, approach and 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 try and uh, be big and loud and sort of exciting and 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 you know throw. Uh, 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 you know, uh, CGI at the screen and, mm. and so on and so forth. I think it's it's a shame that the the cinematic landscape, especially in American filmmaking, has has, has been uh, as a has let uh, films such as this that are very relatable. You know, as we say, you know, the the the, 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 the regardless of the time travel aspect, I think there's a lot to grab onto in this film in terms of that the the characters' kind of frustration with the Sort of daily existence and, and uh, you know yeah the, 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 the core idea at, at the end of this film is that two people have a dream and what happens when they real or not a dream but a plan and what happens when they realize that and then you know this could be two two people becoming successful in a band it's that kind of exactly that, yeah it's, it's that it's that you know and then and then the you know and then all the the things that they can't control pile on top of them you know when it was just them playing gigs in a pub they're all happy, yeah. but when they become hugely successful, you know, and then they've got world tours and big albums and pressures of this and pressures of that. And, and it's that's, you know, that's obviously not the same, but it's, it's that kind of, it's two people living their lives and suddenly there's a there's external pressures that they can't control and how that drives them apart, which is kind of a, as you were saying, Pete, if you knew it was about that, it's kind of been done before. It's a bit one yeah. of those kind of, it's kind of one of those universal stories, but here couched in a very quite original way. Well, it's been done because people can relate to it, and I think yeah, exactly. You know, that's why it works. You've, got, you've yeah. got a narrative like this; you can relate to it. Uh, uh, whereas, you know, a lot of Hollywood, Hollywood films, uh, science fiction films, particularly, uh, they're, they're very difficult to relate to. I think, and it's sort of, uh, you know, as I say, uh, you know, a lot of those, a lot of Hollywood films, you can see the lack of ex- life experience in, in the writing of yeah. those. Um, 
Uh, and you put in, in something like Primer, you can see Caruth's experience as a software engineer, as a, as a sort of a lucky, if you like, corporate drone. You can see that in, in, in Primer. And, and I think that's something that, as, a, as an audience, you can connect to. Uh, uh, and there's a lot a lot to be said about sort of the, the, uh, the big discussion that you can have about uh, who that, uh, that type of uh, uh, narrative appeals to, uh, uh, you know, um, Anyway, that's that's a, that's a, another discussion, isn't it? But I think it's a bit it's it's a shame that that uh, you know at one point there was that point in the late nineties, early two thousands where things seemed to take a different turn, and, and you know you, it seemed like uh, uh, the bigger budget productions, the Hollywood productions, would learn some lessons from the, the indie films such as this, but instead over the past sort of ten ten fifteen years. They've uh, consolidated their emphasis on tentpole pictures, haven't they? This is the. It's just, you know, it's, just, just, it's just a version to risk, isn't it? It's, 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 yeah. Because there's, yeah. there's so so much money involved in all that. You know, it's exactly. either that the, it's, you know, I mean, I teach video games and I see it in video games as well. That you've got your massive, massive video games, your Call of Duties, yeah. And you've got you've got your smaller indie games sort of thing, but there's there's not much in the middle. Yeah, because mm. um, was it around about like about Smith and and uh, things like that where uh, what's that little Miss Sunshine thing or something where you you had films like Love Liza with yeah. uh, uh, Fritz Hoffman, but then the, the the about Smith was the big the big version of a slow pace like Broken Flowers sort of Hollywood film that 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 wasn't too brash or you know it was being a yeah an, an indie film sense to it yeah um yeah yeah anyway i think i think we'll we'll leave it there we need um, to get a, we need to get in a box and go back to 2003 and stop all hollywood productions that's right yeah i'll make primer <laughs> i'll make primer yeah that'll yeah. show caruth yeah <laughs> and i, I, I I, th- I think ne- I think next time I'll be uh, we'll, we'll we'll be looking at the beast. Are we? What's that? Is that the film? I don't know. Yeah, that's the beast. <laughs> yeah, you, the beast, you, the beast of war. Are you going to do your truffle fr- truffle shuffle again? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a it was a a request, wasn't it? The beast of war, the Kevin Reynolds film about the. Uh, the Russian tank crew. In, oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was just reading, actually. There was a thing on um, <clears throat> on Facebook, <laughs> but it was uh, these, uh, uh, there was a, a, a Russian lady in in Second World War. Her husband was, was killed by the Nazis. And um, so she bought a tank and went around uh, blowing up Nazis. In, uh, wow. in the, yeah. <laughs> That, that that that's a true story. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, oh wow, well, that that needs to be made uh, immediately. That's fascinating. <laughs> that is good. I've not, I've not heard about that, but yeah, yeah. It'll be it shall be the beast next time. All right, uh, sounds good. I, I think we should we shall sign off. Say right. bye, kids. Bye, kids. Bye, kids. <laughs> right, hold on, hold on a second. Bye, kids. Are you saying that Primer was about time travel? <laughs> <laughs> If you, if, yeah, if, you, if you, I've actually just you know the box is just warmed up, so if you get in it now, you get back to the beginning of the podcast. We can start it all over again. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. I think I think yeah. we've all got earpieces in, haven't we? So you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't. I don't know what's going on still. <laughs> <laughs> With well, that, 
I know is I've, all I know is I've watched a film about two Mormons trying to make stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> With that, I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll sign off. We'll <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.